right. Here we Welcome are. back. Here Episode we are. 11. Hey, Episode we're, 11. we're in our prime. 11 is uh, a prime number. Oh, look oh, at that. I know. Oh I promise. I only do that like, you know, a couple hundred more times. I apologize. I can't even, I can't even tell you how much that hurts my heart when you it say does. stuff I like can that. See. It does. I can tell. And I love it. Any sort of puns, any sort of, so I'm Scott and that I am Ollie. That and that homunculus on the other end of this phone call is Oliver Dreon. Yes. And uh, that's that's my dad joke, my running dad joke. I do that with the kids all the time. But they'll know the prime numbers. So there's that. So there you go. So it's so all about the, teaching and learning. In it the all end. is about teaching and learning. In the yeah. And so today in Science In Between, we are going to chat about dun, 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 assessments. Assessments. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say where this came up is uh, the, so besides teaching online or teaching through this remote instruction that we're all kind of facing with, uh, I also have two individuals in my house who are uh, students online. So I have my daughter who's a sophomore in college and I have a, my son who's a freshman in high school. And so as I, you know, take breaks from my uh, spare room of instruction, and move into the other areas of the house, I, I get to see what my kids are doing in their classes. And, and one of my, I won't say which, well, I'll say it, it's my son. I saw my son uh, engaging with an assessment just recently. And, and it created some uh, concerning observations for me because one, it was in a math class. So it, it, it's, it's somewhat related. I mean, STEM, right? STEM related. And the thing he was doing was he was in, it was a remote day for him. So he was engaging in a, an assessment and it was a, a timed quiz in which he was engaging with uh, really low level, like call and response types of questions on this math assessment. And he was uh, working in a lockdown browser that was creating all sorts of challenging uh, ways for him to access the quiz. So there was this, I guess this overlay, this, you know, technical lockdown that was forcing him to shut down a whole bunch of other things that were on his laptop so that he could take this quiz. And I understand from a technical standpoint why people do those. I mean, they're all around, you know, trying to make the test, uh, you know, more integrity, uh, you know, honest, right? Making it a more honest exam so that they can rely know, rely that it's an accurate assessment of students' knowledge. And, you know, these are some of the strategies that people recommend, you know, timed assessments, lockdown browsers, you know, multiple choice questions that, you know, change answers and change the orders of the questions and things like that. So they're trying to increase the integrity of the, the exams. I get that. Um, but I, I wonder whether, you know, and we've talked about this before in other uh, episodes, is as we have been moving to remote instruction, are we um, going kind of to the lowest common denominator of, of teaching and learning and assessment. And I think assessment is one of those things that might be happening too. And I worry whether this is happening in science too. Are we just going to move to, you know, call and response, knowledge-based, low-level Bloom's taxonomy questions and, and Wow, assessments. Bloom's taxonomy. I know. I had thrown that in there. Wow. I know. All right. Doing some learning today. An some oldie, but a goodie. Well, it's, well you know, I don't know if it's even a goodie, but it's no, an oldie. But it's, it's out there. And I think it's still like one of those, you know, it's in the vernacular of teaching and learning. So it's sure. And I think it's a good, it's a model to represent questions. And it's yeah. a model. It, it is. Yeah. It, well, yeah, sure it is. It yeah. is a model. 
the plum pudding model is a model of the atom too it is and it it has it may have some utility scott i guess (laughs) right sure anyway yeah so i i guess the what i the way i presented this uh idea to scott was that i think we could probably offer some other opportunities or other ways of looking at assessment in this because i think that some people may be struggling with you know how to assess in this but you you countered with that this is actually more common than just uh online learning or hybrid learning or remote learning that it's actually much more pervasive just in in science in general well it's yeah i mean it's it's more pervasive in as we try to move the to these more reform-oriented pedagogy. So when I talk about ambitious science teaching, like one of the things that um, the group I work with here at, at the middle school um, has been struggling with since the beginning is how do you think about assessment in these environments? And their their struggle is not the struggle that you're dealing with. Like this, the struggle you're dealing with is they're trying to build integrity into a test that's fundamental, fundamentally built on a broken idea of what learning is. So you're trying to get a high integrity test on a low integrity model of learning. So, you know, that is, is a, you know, just a fool's errand from my point of view, like, you know, to your point, these tests are, are not very good at assessing what we actually want to know about kids ability to do mathematics in your case, in, in, in your son's case. Right. So I don't know. I don't, we're not using names. I, 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 I just want to be clear. I actually know Ali's child's name, yeah. but I'm not going to call him by name because, you know, we're, we, want, we want security. We don't want our fans mobbing Ali's right. son at school. With the dozens. Well, although they will see his name in the show notes because he is doing uh, oh, audio production. Well, yeah. now, but they didn't have to know that that was your son. It could have been your, you know, your older brother who lives in, you know, Venezia. I don't know where. Wow, look at that. Thanks. So wait, I've just I've I've distracted. I've gone into a. You but, have fallen into the rabbit hole. I've fallen into the rabbit hole, but but the point is that um, that ambitious science teaching and ambitious ways of teaching um, in general are conceptually focused, right? They're trying to they're trying to engage kids with explaining things that are important, as opposed to just memorizing things that you've told them to memorize, which is essentially the model that that your son was going through with the assessment and that frankly, the way that most school operates, right? So the teacher provides the explanation to the kids or the thing in, you know, to the kids, the kids have to memorize it. There's lots of tricks to memorizing in math class. The way you get them to memorize it is you make them do that same kind of problem over and over again with very small variation. And once they've memorized it, then at some later point, usually not much later, a couple of weeks, you ask them to reproduce that knowledge in essentially almost an exact way to the way you taught it to them. And then you see if they can do it. And that, you know, that is the lowest possible level of, you know, on Bloom's taxonomy or wherever you want to measure it Whatever model. In, ter- in terms of the quality of what you're going to get. So I think w- one of the struggles that folks who engage in ambitious science teaching where you're asking kids to do explanations it, it, grapple with is, okay, it's fair enough to get all this cool conversation going in class and kill, kids are explaining these models, but how do you assess that in the end? How do you, and, and for them, the struggle is how do you take all that richness and boil it down into this kid got a B, yeah. right? Or this kid got 
78 out of 90 or whatever sort of arbitrary scale you're going to put this thing on. So I think, you know, and we can talk about that in more detail, but I think that challenge of is, is a different challenge. The challenge of how do you take the richness of kids actual ability to articulate these ideas in class, either in writing or, or orally and turn that into something that then you can put on their report card. Yeah. Well, I think we can have a, uh a whole discussion on letter grading, percentage grading, and, you know, how that serves students and who does that really serve? Does it really serve oh. the students or the field? Or does it feel serve, you know, some greater process for sorting kids into, <clears throat> you know, and that in itself is, is a challenge. But the, I think that the way I'd like to kind of have us kind of steer this is if we're going to assess students, in this, and we have to, we have to assess to see whether yep. students are learning, right? I mean, that's a, a fundamental task for us as teachers is for us to see whether the students are learning the things we're hoping that they're learning. And if they're not learning that, then for us to provide feedback for growth and to help them move, you know, from one place to another place in terms of learning. And, and that's how we function is that's a critical task for us as teachers. And how do we assess that in, in this online, remote, hybrid, sometimes face-to-face, -face, sometimes not face-to-face, in-between world that we're in. And yeah. I like the in-between world. That's Yes, that's where we are. Well, I and we I, should start I, selling merch with in-between on it. Well, that, yeah, soon. soon. Once we get our fan base up to the, you know, the, yeah. the six digits. Yeah. Six digits, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the point I was making too wasn't to try to derail us into a conversation about the nature of grades, but I think it was to say, um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take these kinds of reform-oriented science teaching seriously, regardless of whether you're in the in-between or you're in whatever normal classroom um, looked like, you know, seven or eight months ago. Um, you know, the, the challenge that happens as we've moved into this in between, as you were saying, Ali, is we've, we've moved into this, there's pressure, let's say we haven't moved into right. this, because that's unfair, but there's pressure to um, efficiency eyes, efficiency, there's a word that I, that actually exists. I'm, I know I like to make up words. This is a word that actually make more efficient. We'll just call it, we'll just say make sure. more efficient. To make more, to make this stuff more efficient, because you're worried about like your life is in chaos right now and and you're you're struggling to figure out how to interact with these kids much less figure out what they actually know about stuff so there is a um there is a safety in well-defined tasks right which is what a multiple choice is so it's like i can give ollie a multiple choice he can answer it and i can say with confidence that ollie answered a to that and a is correct and b is not correct and c is not correct and d is not correct and that that efficiency of that kind of assessment um is very appealing right now to to give assessments that are are like that but the challenge to those kinds of assessment then are what you're describing that happened with Enzo is, uh, is, is, that his name is, um, is now you have to, because you've, you've made your assessment so dumbed down. Now you have to worry about cheating because now there's this whole other, like if the assessments are rich, cheating is much harder. If the assessments are, are these sort of anemic things, then cheating is much easier. So now you have to build this whole infrastructure to stop cheating. 
Yeah, which is not making it more efficient for you, right? It's just changing your focus and saying, now I'm going to spend so much time trying to make sure that this thing is locked down so right. that the assessment that the students are giving me the response and it's really the response from them and not from some other source. And so they're yeah. not finding the answer on the internet. Right. right. Or asking their brother or sister who's sitting next to them, you know, feeding them answers, which I guess all the, all this technological solution wouldn't really solve for that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, not to go back to math, but I was helping a student recently, a friend of mine's daughter who's taking calculus and she was able to like really me mechanically go through some of these things to find limits. Right. Cause that's what you do at the beginning yeah. of calculus. Um, and and then I asked her, well, what's the purpose of finding a limit? Like, why are we doing this? Why is this important? And she had no idea. And, and I think that is, it encapsulates really the, the conversation we're having is, you know, they can, we want students to be able to not just go through the, the mechanistic processes without knowing the conceptual understandings of, of things that are important to the field. And so the only way that we can do that is by providing opportunities for them to explain that that's not going to be captured in some multiple choice, but maybe in some other way. And I think that's the, the thing that we'd like to propose is how do we do that in some way remotely. And I think that op opens up opportunities like right now, you know, this we're doing this, you know, through zoom, right. We're, we're recording all this stuff for, through zoom. And I will say, let me, let me kind of, you know, I know we have a couple of listeners who are from the art community. So I'll, I'll say my daughter's an art and design major at a, at a, at a school, at a college. And what, what I see is kind of cool for her is um, she's taking a couple studio classes. We set up a studio, a paint studio in the basement of our house so mm. she could paint. And, and what the, her teacher is doing with her is setting up individual breakout rooms of one. And so she's in a breakout room by herself. And what he does is he goes and meets with each one of them, giving them feedback in, on the paintings that they're, they're doing, the students are working on. So mm -hmm. each student gets like five or 10 minutes of time where he says, okay, so what, what are you trying to accomplish with this? And, and really it's the application of all the concepts that they've been talking about in this painting class. He gets to see them demonstrate it. And then he gets to provide feedback for, okay, this is where I think you need to work on and this is where you need to improve. Now that's a, that's a really high value process and it takes a high investment from the teacher. But I would say that talking to my daughter about the classes she's enjoying, that is one of the classes she enjoys the most. Mm -hmm. She's getting tailored feedback and she's getting to voice her thoughts, her ideas, and then she's getting feedback from someone and that she's getting that one-on-one -on -one time with it. And I know that might be harder to do with like, you know, 50 students in a class, which I don't know, do they have 50 students in a class? But, you know, with half of the students working remotely or half the students working face-to-face -face or, you know, there's, there are definitely challenges and constraints, but those are also opportunities too for us to maybe do something really interesting that's not just about doing it efficiently. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm um, noticing with these sort of difficult hybridy sort of environments is there is um i do think you you're obliged to think about the technology as the sort of default right yeah. which is to say you can no longer assume that 
that the sort of social interaction between human beings is the default, which is for me, when I teach class, that is my default, right? I put yeah. kids in groups, I go around and talk to the groups, then we have a conversation across those groups in some large group. And, and that's a pattern in almost everything that I teach. So understanding now that that can't, essentially that can't happen anymore. And so, so defaulting to the technology. So, so, you know, we've talked about this before, but, but the idea of some sort of shared document for me is becoming more and more the central piece of how I think about almost everything that we do. Um, and I think it's a really good way to think about assessment, right? Um, I think one of the things that we have to be realistic about as as we think about more ambitious ways of teaching science is that science teachers have to start thinking of themselves at least in part as writing teachers, which yeah. is to say we have to help kids learn how to express their ideas in writing better um, and help those help that develop um, in, in a specific way. We're trying, you know, there's claims, evidence, reasoning frameworks, there's ways to think about how to express your ideas and those things cut across often domains, um, which is helpful. But I think starting to think about can we do assessments that are written but are maybe even shared, right? So that the multiple people, multiple voices, students are working together to develop a shared um, explanation or a shared document that expresses their, their, their explanation. But then also using, you know, like one of the things that we should probably talk about within this conversation is sort of the nuanced difference between summative and formative assessments. So how, how do you think about like, using those assessments as a way to guide your instruction and give feedback and move kids forward versus figuring out where kids are in some, you know, final where you're going to give them a grade sort of way. Yeah. And, and I think we, do we want to make the assumption that everybody who's listening knows the difference between summative and informative? Well, we just take a second and, and like explain that just so that if you're someone new to the uh, to the field of education, and you haven't heard those terms before. Um, summative versus formative assessment. So I I always go formative is for learning. It's for the process of improvement for um, the the student and for the teacher, um, so that you can provide as a teacher can provide feedback for growth, feedback to help the student move in the direction you want. It helps you identify maybe gaps in learning, and and that can inform your instruction. So you can say, okay, you know what, I'm noticing that my students are really struggling with this concept, so I need to spend a little bit more time on this, or come up with specific ways of of teaching this, or getting the students to mm -hmm. to grow in those areas. Whereas summative, you know. I, I think that we play play way too much attention and time on some of the assessments, which are the things that happen at the end of units or the end of the year or the end of a semester. And so these are like the big exams or the big projects or things that happen. We're supposed to just capture all of the big concepts or the big ideas and, and wrap it up. And, and I, I worry whether we I, I would like us to just move to all formative assessment. Everything should be for learning, right? Everything should mm. be just, and because I think one of the things I try to do in my classes, and, and I don't know who I stole this idea from, is that everything can be revised. Everybody, everything can be retaken. Everything can be, because ultimately I don't want to put time constraints. I mean, there are time constraints on things, but in the same sense, they're all just created by us. So mm. why not let somebody if they need to take an exam again, um, or if they need to you know, go back and revise a paper, why not let them? Because ultimately my goal is to help them get to a place that they can do the best job they can and they can learn mm -hmm. the stuff and explain the stuff and, and demonstrate their learning the best way they can. And if we can give them extra time that, you know, 
if we we fundamentally agree that students learn at different rates and different paces and through fits and starts and all that, if those are fundamental beliefs that we have as teachers, then we also have to say that it's not that the learning is not constrained by time, that it's not like in, we don't learn in two and a half week packets, right? That hmm. we're like, okay, here's a, a packet of two and a half weeks. That's the, the optimal length for some unit. Okay, now we're done with that. Let's move to the next two and a half week of two and a half week unit and then so on and so on and just rinse and repeat as, as necessary. But if we say, you know what, one group of students might take two weeks, another group of students might take a week, and some other group of students may take three. And so how do we attend to all of that? And that opens up a whole nother box of worries in this in-between world that we're not going to yeah, talk about Yeah, I was going to say that's a complicated, I mean, it's a nice, it's nice notionally, right? This sort sure. of mastery learning perspective, but but my kids are all in different places or or to the kids that, you know, get faster do you give them more work and the kids that are going slow you know yeah but we're gonna we're not gonna talk about that today we're yeah gonna... we're, we'll, we'll set that aside because i think that i think philosophically we probably agree with that but practically how do we put that in motion i'm sure there's some some listeners who would go wow oh, this would be they go mass customized learning that's what they would oh i, I don't want to go down there I, yeah i hope those, those no you don't think they're listening? Uh, they're I, well, they may be listening. I just hope they're not shouting that. Yeah. But it, but if they are, we'll disabuse them of, of that at another date. But I want to go back to I want to go back to formative assessment because I do think the key thing that you said that I want to just really make sure is clear for people who don't even for people who do think about formative assessment maybe don't think enough about it right and how critical it is is that it it is meant to guide instruction which yeah. is to say you're trying to understand what your kids know not to decide whether it's good enough or not which is what summative is about but to decide how you can change instruction and i think this is part of the thing that when where most people fall down on is is they they say something's formative which is to say they don't they're not going to give it a grade or it's not a grade that counts or they do some hand wavy stuff about why it's not summative but then they don't actually use it to change their instruction like their instruction stays the same it's like well tomorrow i was doing a lesson on on you know newton's second law and and even though they don't understand newton's first law and we we're not even getting into you shouldn't teach physics that way but right. um but you know i'm not gonna even though it's clear from my formative assessment my exit ticket or whatever i'm doing that my students don't have any understanding of that well tomorrow's newton's second law and that's where they have to be so we have to do it so i think this idea of really understanding that formative if you're treating it seriously puts an obligation on the teacher to actually be responsive to say, Oh, my kids are not understanding the way uh, I want them to. And I need to, that is on me because I'm the one who's, who's charged with helping them understand these things. And so I have to reorient, redesign, rethink my teaching to, to match them, not to have them just work harder to match me by me continuing to trundle along at the pace I, I was planning. Yeah, I, I always I I was um, pulling up some some John Dewey because I always I always feel the need to you know drop some John Dewey you know do you, uh, you, you do do you I do I love I I just I've, I find you know if you're you're not familiar with John Dewey John Dewey's from like the early 1900s and he's one of these guys who if you read him now there he's still identifying some of the same challenges that that we're facing today and I think he would probably have a lot to say about this in between world but he talks about like you know how you know approaching teaching and learning from an anonymous standpoint without that information that formative you know assessment he says it's uh 
uh, without the insight from formative assessment, there's only an accidental chance that the material of study and the methods used in instruction will so come home to an individual that his development of mind and character is actually directed. So he's like saying, you know, if you don't have that formative data, like how are you going to know? You have to know your kids. You have to know where they are to be able to, and that's the critical part about mm -hmm. assessment. It's that you have to know your students and where they, they are. And that's the critical part for informing our instruction. So well, again, you know, as long as, as long as the fundamental assumption is to John and I, and I love, I love John, John and I are, uh, you know, both, both alumni of, of, uh, you know, my, my institution and he, he worked at the University of Michigan for, for years before going to the University of Chicago. So, you know, I, I got to go to, I got to go to school in a place where John Dewey taught. So, so I, I assume most of that rubbed off on me and I'm, I'm really, you know, you're, you're John Dewey, junior, junior. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I've just got some John Dewey sauce on me that I think sure. he, he can't wash off. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I, I love that. And, um, but I do think like that's founded on the assumption that it is, it is a teacher's responsibility to take into account differences in, in their students and, and to adapt their instruction. And we talk about differentiated instruction all the time. Um, but usually what we're saying is like, well, what do you do? You know, what do you do for the kids who have IEPs or who are emerging bilinguals? We'll, we'll create this special thing for them. We'll give them a graphic organizer. Or we'll give them an, you know, something that, that scaffolds them. But that's not really what, what John Dewey's talking about. He's not, he's not saying, yeah, you keep the pace of the class like cranked to wherever it is. Like you set it and you go right. and then you just try and like make, you know, sort of figure out how to get those few kids or many kids in some circumstances who can't keep up or aren't able to understand what you're up to. Um, like, what do you, what do you sort of, what sort of life preservers do you give them to try to, to keep them along for the ride? Um, but I think to, to bring this back to assessment, I mean, I think this is, this is this problem of, okay, so what, what is the goal of what you're, what are you trying to accomplish, right? You know, and you, you were saying this, like, what is this in service of, right? So the test that, that Enzo was taking, like, what is that in service of? Well, it's in service of the teacher being able to give a grade to Enzo. Like, really, that's what it's about. Right. Like, it, it doesn't, it certainly serves no purpose for Enzo, right? I mean, he doesn't it, take- All it did was create stress right. and anxiety because the, you know, the- the lockdown browser wasn't working, the time thing, it was ticking away as he's like trying to get the things to work. So it was just, and he's a math kid. So it was like, and he was worried that he was not gonna really be able to demonstrate what he knew because so much of this other stuff was going on. And so, yeah, insert, I think that's a great way to frame it is who is this, assess, this assessment in service to yeah. or in service for? And if it's giving us information, that's great. If it gets the students information, that's great. If it gives the students the opportunity to voice and to demonstrate what they've learned in some sort of way that may be authentic, maybe more, you know, I like, I like how you say that we have to start to think about ourselves as writing teachers, as people who, you know, use writing and not the five paragraph essay. You know, we're not, that's not, I think what we're advocating for mm -hmm. here is you know, it could be short little, you know, explanations, or it could be something more long form, but it really getting the kids to explain what the, but I think that's a, an assessment that would be worthwhile, but there's other things yeah. that we could be doing too. Um, I think that 
the, the world that we're in with all the technology that we're working with, it gives us some opportunity for students to maybe, you know, explain some of the things through like, you know, like I, I think about voice threads or I think about flip grids, you know, where those are not just engagement things or entertainment things. Those are opportunities for students to explain their understanding and maybe mm -hmm. ways that might be a little bit more comfortable for them that they're, you know, because kids I, that right now there's so many kids who are on like the TikToks and the voice chats and, and the discourse and, and all that. Uh, Discord, sorry. Discord, Discord, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just like. That's okay. Yeah. You, you're a little too much in educational research land there when you I, start talking about discourse. Not Discord is the tool that uh, so many kids are on. And they're, um, I think those provide some opportunities for us to really have kids talk about science and talk about what they're, what, and then we can assess it that way. Yeah. And that's not something that is, is, foreign for our students and it's also something that I think can work in this in-between world um, that our teachers and our students are working in. Yeah I mean I think that's a great example and it reminds me of uh, you know something that you know again to connect this to the before times before the in-between where um, one of the teachers at, at the middle school here like one of the unit assessments that he did was he blocked out his schedule in a way that let him do individual interviews with all his kids right now that was a huge commitment i think he did that once as a sort of sense of what would this look like i don't know that you could do that on a regular basis but what you've just proposed i think is a really interesting way to say in what ways are the in-between, does it afford things that we wouldn't have thought of doing in the before times, right? Which is to say, basically ask kids, now the, the hard part, um, you know, of, so if we ask kids to just sit in front of a camera and explain something, right? The hard part about that that's different than what, what my colleague did was that you can't be there to sort of press and probe and engage the kid and, and really try and understand their thinking. They just have to be able to sort of spill it to the best of their ability. Um, and, and that's good. And, and you could structure that and give feedback to that in ways that over time would build that, uh, their capacity to do that explaining. But I do think the idea that like, it becomes then much more like an assessment, the way that we think about assessments in school in that it's not, it's not time limited. The student can do the thing. And then, you know, like with Netflix, you can watch all those videos, you know, at once, or you can break them up over multiple days. You can give kids feedback in different ways, either through return video or through, you know, text feedback or all this. So, um, so I think that really is an interesting way to think about how else can we get kids to get good at explaining things and, and al allowing opportunities for them to do that where they can get feedback. Yeah, because I think the feedback is the critical part. You know, it's not the yeah. submission, it's our response. You know, it's how right. us, us hearing those explanations and providing feedback for growth. And, and I think that, you know, we, I'll, I'll say, I've had a lot of teachers I've worked with who just wrote the obligatory good job and, you know, a couple yeah. check marks here and there or circled a couple of words on a paper and said, good job. And, and it feels good, but it's, it, I put that in the, the meringue of assessment, right? It's like the meringue is, you know, the dessert, yeah. you get those little, you know, hard cookies, those meringues and you, they're, they're, they're not very satisfying. They're tasty, but they're not very satisfying. They're sweet, but ephemeral. And that's right. not what you're going for. No. And the good job, the obligatory good job at the end of, uh, if we're providing that as our feedback, it's that, you know, just like you said, it might be sweet, but it's not filling. 
and not no. satisfying. No, yeah. no, it's not a high quality meal. It's that. not. You can no. eat a lot of. Mer you'd have to eat a lot of meringue for it to be a high quality meal. Yeah, but I think, you know, the thing that, that we have to recognize then is in this new world, if that's what we're talking about in terms of assessment, that it, those kinds of assessment require time of teachers. And, and so you have, to, you have to understand how to do that and how to organize your time, how to organize your class. Like, are you going to stagger the assessments so that different kit, you know, okay, my, my first period class is going to do their videos on Monday and my third period class is going to do it on Thursday. So you, so you're not getting crushed by, you know, you know, if you've got five classes um, or six classes or some of 25 kids, like that's a lot of videos. Yeah. So you can see how you get to the meringue, right? Where you're just like, God, I just can't see another one of these. So thinking about how to do that, can you set up a peer review system where you say, okay, the first round of feedback, Ollie is going to give feedback to, to Scott, but that is, you know, sound, again, it's one of those things that sounds really nice, but structuring it and making yeah. it work is, is brutal and requires yeah. a lot of work by the teacher. So, um, yeah, and you know, I want to be, be mindful of the fact that I know teachers out there who are right now are struggling with time. Time is like the, sure. but, I, but I think that's always the case. It's just like ramped it up even more. So like the time is one of those things where, you know, every teacher would ask for more time. I just need more time in my day because, you know, they are working, you know, from seven to three and every single, like that's the school day. And yeah. every single day, part of their day is like either, you know, they're teaching or they're doing some duty or they're, I mean, the planning periods are not, you know, often or long enough. And so they have very few opportunities to work with colleagues and plan for lessons and to provide the feedback that we're at. we get that we we get that we've both been there and mm -hmm. so i think the, the the challenge is trying to figure out ways to do that in a way that's meaningful for students and not going to weigh you down so much that you can't do the other parts of your job and right yeah that's the Right. We don't want to propose things that are going to crush your soul. I mean, we've right. got enough of that going on yeah, that we don't need like, okay, if you're not doing individual interviews with all your kids, then you're not a good science teacher. Like be perfectly clear. That is not what we are saying. Right. So yeah. But if, it's, you were, if there was going to be like, so if you're going to zoom with your students, if you know, that's a, a day, like, so I know that a lot of districts are taking a day of the week. That's not a re remote day where there's like half students remote, half students face to face, but everybody's off. So maybe yeah. they can clean the school or something, but teachers are still meeting with students. Maybe this is time for you to meet with all your students individually and say, I'm going to schedule like five minute sessions with some students or the students who you, you know, and then maybe week one, you do it with half your students and then week two, you do it with the other half. And just as a way to do that. And I think that would be a much more meaningful and we give you the chance to check, check in with some students who may need to be checked in with and, mm -hmm. and get that, um, that one-on-one -on -one attention that they des that deserve and they need because they feel so isolated. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, and that's a different kind of assessment that we didn't talk about, but we can put a pin in, which is the sort of social emotional assessment that you've got oh, yeah. to make. I mean, it's increasingly important in these days when kids are, you know, I mean, we're all feeling the sort of malaise of like just everything, right? Like yeah. it's hard to like motivate yourself to do anything. And then it's really hard, I would imagine, to be a middle school kid trying to motivate themselves to sit eight hours in front of a video camera and, you know, just suffer that. So, um, yeah, I think, I think checking in, you know, that's a nice idea to check in with your kids and figure out how to, whatever the touch points are to, to remember that assessment isn't 
just academic. Um, I mean, I will, one, one last thing I just want to say about this is I think this is one of the struggles we have when we think about like outcome-based education, right? When we say like, okay, you have to get every kid to a certain place by a certain date, which is essentially what we do in our schools and what the consequences of that are, because it does put tremendous stress and pressure on teachers to think about that. And it forces them, I think, to make bad decisions about what's good for kids, right? And, and I think we really, you know, that, you know, back, back to your point about these sort of larger standard assessments, like the PSSAs and the Keystone exams, like those exams are designed to um, not give feedback to students. So again, what are they in service of? They're in service of, you know, allowing school districts to rank themselves comparatively. Um, and they also say something about, um, you know, the value of homes in those, in those school districts. Yeah. And, and again, I think standards and assessments at one point or sometime, and maybe some people would argue, had, had an equity mission to try and say like, well, some schools are under-resourced and those kids are not getting the ed educational experiences that they need. And, and I, I, but I think frankly, we don't need these assessments to tell us that we, we just know that, right? Like yeah. you don't, you don't have, so what are we doing about that is the bigger question, right? Like, okay, we have all this data that says X, but we're still doing the same old thing. So again, not formative. We're not making decisions based on this data. We're just saying, well, that's just the way it is. And I think that's a, uh, I, I think if there's a motto that comes from today, it's like, what is the assessment in serv service of or in service for? And that's a great way to frame it. And I think it's a great uh, a place for us to end this episode, right? Is as we move into our joys. Um, yes. Because yeah, we've kind of, we went dark there with the, the malaise. And I think that's one, a topic we can come back to is the uh, social emotional side of the, the in-between. Um, we'll put that in, in the show notes for, uh, yeah. for someplace down the road. We'll, we'll cover down that. Down the road. Yeah. Down the road. Do you, do you want to start with your joys or? Um, no, go ahead. All right. You can, you can, you can fire as you, you sound like you got something like locked I and loaded. I do. And you're, you know, you'll probably, you'll probably steal mine anyway. So it, it's fine. You just no, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if you're down with this. It's uh, it, it, to follow the theme of us being two big comic book nerds. Um, I have a series that I've been reading that is going to end soon. Um, it's called Gideon Falls. It's from a writer called Jeff mm -hmm. Lemire, who is just oh, yeah. awesome. Jeff Lemire just rocks. And if you're, uh, we read some other stuff from him, like the senders, and Ascenders, Jeff Lemire. This is mm -hmm. a little more of a horror genre. So it, it deals with uh, a, a bar. This is like the, the oddest concept in the world. It's a, uh, a, a time-traveling barn that exists out of, out of time, right? And so it's, um, there's these alternative realities of, of Gideon Falls, which is a place. And the people who jump from these different worlds and it is wild it is a wild ride it is i hear they're going to make it into a netflix show down the road or from some other maybe some other network is is doing it but i heard netflix it is awesome it is awesome it's terrifying it's 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 great it's available on hoopla it, or wherever and it's uh, i think it's going to uh, end with episode 27 or or issue 27 coming up so that's sometime in December um, of 2020. So if you're listening to this and it's not December 20, 2020, then it, it's still coming. Or if it's after 2020, there you go. Go check yeah. it out. So yeah. Gideon Falls, comic Very book. Very nice. So, um, so I'll go back to another one of our, 
our old saws, which are podcasts, but this one's a little, uh, a little different. Um, I, I debated between two and I'll save one for next time. Um, but, uh, but the one that I'm going to recommend today is called mission to Zix. Um, so it is a, um, it is an entirely, um, oh my gosh, that's what I'm looking for. It's a comedy, it's a comedy podcast. It's a, it's sort of a Star Warsian um, mock, uh, but it's entirely improvised. And it's, it's this, it's just a, it, it's a great show. It's, it's got, um, I don't, I don't want to ruin any of it for you. So I won't tell you any of the story, but basically uh, the, the big frame is there's this crew of, 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 misfit sort of aliens and robots who travel through space together and have missions and they're in this uh sort of deep quadrant of space that's sort of out in the middle of nowhere um and each week they have a a mission and they often well almost always have a special guest who's almost always a comedian of some kind and so they they um it's just it's a great show and it's you know, stupid and funny in the best possible sense, right? It's just lovely, and the characters are are really funny, and uh, and so it's you know it's just really good, and it's got you know if you're if you're a Star Wars nerd, there's enough in there to you know sort of that you can nod along and say, oh yeah, like they're getting after you know the Force right there or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really so is one of those Star ones. Star Warsian. That's Star that. Warsian, yeah. yeah so right. it's not straight up Star Wars, but it's got a lot of that sort of vibe to it, right? So there's like the the one guy who's um, yeah. See, I hate to ruin any of it, but no, so, say no, no more. Say no yeah. more. You don't want to ruin it for the listeners. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want no spoilers. So it's just, but it's, but they improvise the whole thing. So it's basically all these people are are. Um, voice actors or, or actors or comedians. And, um, and like I say, they invite a, a comedian on every, every week for this and, uh, and just improvise it. So I'll put it in the show notes, obviously, but, um, but well worth it. And there, I think they're in their third season now. So there's lots of back catalog. I strongly recommend that you, you start in the beginning um, because it is a story, right? Like characters develop over time and you, you don't, you, you don't want to jump in, you know, not knowing who Bino is because, if you don't know who Bino is, the whole thing is going to be off the rails. It'll crumble. Yeah. So, so, uh, so what's the episode again? What's the podcast again? Mission to Zix, Z-Y-X-X. Right. Um, and it is, it is from the Maximum Fun Network. If you don't know that, that's Jesse Thorne, who uh, is like an NPR. He's sort of like a modern day Terry Gross. He has like an interview show called Bullseye, which is fantastic. Um, and... Um, and he started up this whole podcast network. So there's a, the other show that I would recommend too is also on that network. Um, but I'm going to save that one. I'm going to keep my powder right. dry on that one for the future. All right. All right. We're going to have to, you're going to have to listen to next, next week to hear that one. That's right. You'll have so to, well, maybe, maybe a couple weeks. All right. Yeah, I to it. So mine was Gideon Falls and Scott's was Mission to Zix. Six. Mission to Zix. Zix. And uh, thanks for listening. Episode 11, Science yeah. in Between. We'll see, you, we'll see you in between. in between. All right. See you then. <laughs>